Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun presses on messages of safety after the recent Alaska Airlines incident. And I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin about the local housing market. He has a story about a Chicago condo that rents for $30,000 a month that's like living in a pop culture museum. Yeah, mo money, mo electric guitars is the way I thought of it. $30,000 a month, four-bedroom condo at the Trump International. But it comes furnished not only with like couches and rugs, but with electric guitars signed by members of Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, The Jam, album covers signed by each of the Beatles. It goes on. There's so much. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, January 11th. Are you sick of not being your bank's top priority? We are too. At Wintrust, we take a different approach to banking. We're proud to be your one true banking partner focused on your unique financial goals that's right in your backyard. Whether you're opening your first account, buying a home, planning for the future, or starting a business, we have tailored solutions to get you there. Stop settling and start experiencing a better way to bank at Wintrust.com. Wintrust, different approach, better results. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial. Financial Corporation Banks, member FDIC. I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hey, Dennis, how's it going? I'm great, Amy. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I feel like we're back. There's that like holiday sort of news lull, but there wasn't much of one for you. No, the year started out running and it's been running since. There's been a lot going on. Let's start by picking up our conversation that we had started late last year about the National Association of Realtors. There was a lot going on there. And there's now more. Yeah, this this was a, a little bit of a, this was like a bomb that dropped on Monday. The president of the National Association of Realtors resigned. She had only been in the job for about five months following a previous president who resigned. So this current resignation was Tracy Katzper. Uh, she announced, or the National Association of Realtors announced, that she had essentially, she received a blackmail threat. She received uh, communications that there was um, non-financial personal information that would be disclosed about her if she didn't, the way, the way the letter said was, if she didn't compromise her position at the National Association of Realtors. So that's all we really know. That's what they put in the statement after she resigned and they issued this statement right away. Uh, This is the latest in a series of um, troubles at the National Association of Realtors. And for those who aren't aware, the reason we track this is that the the association is based in Chicago, has about 1.5 million members. The offices are in Chicago and Washington, D.C., the headquarters here, uh, something like 50 employees here. So uh, Tracy Casper stepped down abruptly. Now, uh, we assume another president will be named. And as I said, she got the job about five months ago. This is a volunteer position. She got the position, I should say, about five months ago when the previous president resigned. Uh, there had been a New York Times investigation into a pattern of sexual harassment by him. And when that investigation came out, he resigned. Tracy Casper took the position. Also implicated in some sort of skeevy ways by the New York Times investigation was the CEO, 
And uh, later, it, the idea was that he had essentially sort of permitted this culture to thrive. So later in the fall, we had a story about a letter written by a few dozen staff members, both in Chicago and in Washington, calling for the firing of that CEO. He's been there. Bob Goldberg had been there since the 1980s, and he was set to retire uh, at the end of 2024. This, again, is late 2023 when this is going on. Um, they called for him and other upper leadership to, to be fired because of sort of allowing this culture to exist. So then in November, he was uh, removed and a temporary CEO was put in his place. He apparently is still there on a consulting basis. Again, he was going to retire at the end of 2024 anyway. His removal came in the wake also of the lawsuits that we've discussed that are questioning and possibly rewriting the rules of commissions in the real estate industry and the National Association of Realtors was a defendant in the big one and lost the case over a billion dollars in damages assessed. So that's another big hit to the organization. He le- and so he leaves in the wake of both of those. Uh, then, as I said, a temporary CEO is installed. This president, Tracy Casper, had been installed. She has now left. And the other thing we've seen at the National Association of Realtors is they've had a drop in their membership numbers. First drop since 2012. They lost 26,000 members in 20. They lost 26,000 members in 2023. It's about 1.1% of their membership. But again, it's the first time it has dropped since 2012. So a lot of blows uh, at the National Association of Realtors. Do you have a sense of who might step into the role now? So no, we really, we don't know, but I assume an announcement is forthcoming. They have to have a president. And um, so I think probably that will be the next story is who takes over this role. Yeah, well, we will check in about that when you know more. All right, well, let's talk about um, Illinois' oldest mortgage firm. It has laid off about 200 people. Tell me about this and why. This is a company called Dovin Mule. They were founded in 1844 in Chicago, now based in Lake Zurich, widely reported to be the oldest mortgage company. They have over 100 employees, and so they're required to publish layoff notices 60 days in advance. They did. These are called WARN notifications, and uh, you you know certainly very well that at Cranes, we cover those in whatever industry they happen. This is not the first set of layoffs in the mortgage business. We expect to see more because, of course, demand for mortgages is way down as the housing boom fades into the background. We did see a company layoff over 500 people, Interfirst Mortgage based in Rosemont, laid off 500 in 2022. So by comparison, 212 is not that big a deal, but it's, it is a sign that, you know, there's, there's movement in the industry. And it's also, it's kind of interesting that it's flagged as, you know, the oldest mortgage company uh, in Illinois. And so it has, it's gone up and down with the vicissitudes of the market since 1844. And talk to me also about, uh, guaranteed rate, how they have sued a competitor for poaching workers. This was very interesting news. Guaranteed rate is a mortgage company that's based here in Chicago. The end of December, they sued a competitor based in California over poaching allegations. And if you read the story on our site, you can read the whole lawsuit um, where they spell out what, of course, it's one-sided. It's from one set of attorneys, 
But what it spells out in the suit is what they see as a pattern of poaching, of hiring people who, uh, when they leave, are subject, when they leave guaranteed rate, are subject to contract stipulations that say, you won't bring anybody with you. You won't tell somebody to quit their job and come over. There, It's spelled out in several ways. And according to Guaranteed Rate, this company, New American Funding, does a whole lot of the things that are prohibited by these kinds of contracts. And they lay out several examples. Um, none of the employees who were poached, apparently, were in the Chicago area. There are some in southern Illinois, but it's a total of about 30 employees in uh, Illinois, Arizona, Florida, Texas. I can't remember what other states. And um, guaranteed rates sued for an injunction to stop this behavior by New American Funding. I could not get any response from New American Funding, and I could not track down who their their attorneys were. So I don't have their justification for what they're doing. They they may have a point by point response to what guaranteed rate has charged. But at the moment, as as you know, when you're covering a lawsuit without uh, the documents from them or a response from their attorneys, um, you just don't have it. And so at the moment, all we know is what guaranteed rate is alleging in its case. And one of the things they say is this is not just sort of a backstage, oh, you're stealing our employees. It actually has an effect on home buyer, I'm sorry, on, on mortgage borrowers, because according to guaranteed rate, um, uh, New American funding uses some practices that are prohibited, that are illegal under uh, the Truth in Lending Act. It's all spelled out in the lawsuit, but essentially what it, what it is, is a loan officer is allowed to sort of change your mortgage to a different type of mortgage to get you a lower rate and also change the loan officer's own compensation. Loan officers are, are prohibited by law from having their compensation tied to the type of loan you take. But essentially, according to guaranteed rate, what uh, New American Funding is doing is giving itself a competitive advantage by making it possible to offer these lower rates in ways that are illegal. And that's important right now when um, interest rates have been such a bugaboo for home buyers. It's been so hard to find a rate that makes your home affordable. So according to guaranteed rate, new American funding is seizing an unfair advantage. Well, I'm sure we will revisit that one too down the road. All right. Well, there are five houses that I want to talk with you about. The first one, a Missouri gubernatorial candidate is selling the Chicago condo that he just bought. I think he closed on it in mid-November. I feel like, was it something we said? What was happened something here? We said? Well, so let's look at the chronology here. The, the candidate is Mike Hamra. In October, he puts a contract in on a unit at the St. Regis here in Chicago. Two weeks later, he throws his hat in the ring in Missouri. And then two weeks later, he closes on the one he had put under contract and almost immediately puts it up for sale. He didn't talk to me, so I don't know uh, whether that chronology was accidental. I put something under contract and then, oh shoot, then I realized I was going to run for governor. I have no right. idea, but it is true that um, his throwing his hat in the ring is right in between putting it under contract and closing on it. Um, Mike Hamra has had a condo in Chicago since at least 2009, as far as I can tell from the public records, but he's based in Springfield, Missouri. His father founded a company there, family name, Hamra um, Companies, in uh, 1976 with a Wendy's franchise. And over the years, the company has built now Mike, the son, is the CEO. He's been with the company for about two decades. 
Now they have 197 franchise restaurants, um, Wendy's, Noodles and Company, Panera, Caribou in several states. In Illinois, they have 65. So clearly having a base here in Chicago makes a lot of sense. They have 65 restaurants here, 197 in Midwestern states overall. Uh, and it's, it's quite a sizable company. Mike Hamra, CEO in mid-October, threw his hat in the ring for the gubernatorial race in Missouri. One of the things I know very little about Missouri politics, but one of the things I read in an article about him is uh, he's running as a Democrat. No Democrat has won statewide office in Missouri since 2018. So that doesn't suggest that the odds are in his favor, but we'll see what happens. He put himself down as supporting women's reproductive choice, supporting workers' rights, various other things. Um, it said he'd be a governor of ideas. So I checked in, tried to get some information. You know, you, you have a second home here. Why put this one on the market? We don't know. He's got it on the market for 6.5% more than he paid for it just in November. He paid $2.81 million for it. He's got it up for $3 million now. And I didn't see any mention in the listing of improvements that have been made since it was purchased. So um, he's looking at 6.5% appreciation after just a few months. Hmm. Well, yet another story. We, we will put a pin in it. I should say he's yeah. asking for 6.5% appreciation after just a couple of months. All right. Another place I want to talk with you about, you teased this last time we talked, and this is a Trump Tower condo that is filled with rock memorabilia. It's for rent. It's 30 Gs a month, but it's for rent. Tell me about this place. Does it come with all the stuff? Yeah. Mo money, mo electric guitars is the way I thought of it. $30,000 a month, four bedroom condo at the Trump International, but it comes furnished not only with like couches and rugs, but with electric guitars signed by members of Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, The Jam, album covers signed by each of the Beatles. It goes on. There's so much. He took me on a tour of all his memorabilia, and it takes about an hour to see the hundreds of vinyl albums, the turntables. There's one in every bedroom. It's, it's really quite a place. He's obviously very into rock and roll. Um, he's moving to Miami. His fiance got a job in Miami. They're moving, and he wants to put this up for rent for one of the reasons uh, we've been hearing quite a bit recently. He's got a mortgage in the 3% range. Mortgages are up in the 6% range. Doesn't want to let go of this affordably priced mortgage. Mm -hmm. So he has put it on the market with all those things intact. The guitars, the Pee Wee Herman figurines, the Miss Pac-Man video arcade game, the wow. watch worn in the untouchables, the meteorites brought back from the moon, so many things. I would be so nervous that anyone renting it would like mess with my stuff if it's such, you know, valuable, unique stuff. I asked him this when I got there. I, so I showed up at his door and said, are you actually renting this with all this stuff in here? And he said, yeah. And I said, don't you think somebody's going to ruin your guitars, et cetera? And he said, no, I'm asking $30,000 a month. I'm aimed toward a demographic who will be respectful. He assumes that you're a CEO, you're a high-level sports figure, you're very well-paid, you're going to come in, want to be surrounded by all this great memorabilia and respect it. Oh, nobody at that tax bracket ever acts foolish. <laughs> I'm a reporter, Amy. That's what the man said, is he thinks. Right. And well, so one thing I should say is 
there are all these electric guitars. There are, I think, seven electric guitars in the one room. Um, they're not really for playing. They're out on racks. Sure. He said he doesn't play them. It is a soundproofed room. And so I said, well, if you don't play guitar, why do you have this soundproof room? And we stood there and he just turned the knob up on Kate Bush to 11, as they say. And it was like, it hurt my ears, but his neighbors wouldn't have heard a thing. Oh, so you can rock out. Yeah. So, it, and it's got, I mean, there's so much, it goes on. I, I did ask him, so somebody will respect all this, but will they get what's here? Yeah. He said that for the successful renter, for the person who really, uh, really does take it, he will happily give them a tour, walk them around and say, here's where I got the Linda Ronstadt picture disc. And here's where I got the box set of the Smiths. And um, he also, I assume he will show other people as he did me. Here's an album. He, he pulls out an album and says, it's got original pizza crumbs still inside the jacket. <laughs> and I assume that's part of the tour for anybody. I love the enthusiasm there. I feel like this guy could write a book about how he went about collecting all this stuff. That's so interesting. Uh, yeah, I think so too. He started out as a high school kid in the West Suburbs working in record stores and got infected by rock and roll as so many of our generation did and yeah. is still infected with it. And here we are. That's very cool. Well, I look forward to finding the Instagram account of whoever rents that place so I can see all of this stuff. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I agree. I agree. Very cool. All right. Well, now uh, tell me about how sci-fi author Andy Weir has now got two high-end homes in Winnetka. Yes. It's almost exactly a year since we last talked about him. Um, Andy Weir is the author of many science fiction books and articles and blogs. His two most famous are The Martian, which became a Matt Damon movie and was very successful, and The Hail Mary Project, which is supposed to become a Ryan Gosling movie, uh, probably also successful given Ryan Gosling's star power. Uh, last year, we sat and talked about the house he had in the, in the Indian Hill Club in Winnetka. He and his wife are both Californians, but they had moved here during the pandemic basically just really liked Chicago. They moved here in 2021, bought the house for about $4.4 million, but then they were going to move back in 2022. They told me they were going to go back to uh, California, so they put the house on the market at about $5 million. It went off the market. I figured, well, you know, they never did sell it. And then he popped up uh, as the buyer of a different house in Winnetka at $4.5 million in December. When we published the article, I hadn't yet reached him. He later called me, and what I learned is they did think they were moving back to California, and he implied that they spent a short time there. They did it because he thought he was going to have to be out there for work and realized that he has more obligations on the East Coast and in Europe, so Chicago was fine, so they came back here because they like it. And of course, I'm always on the side of somebody who comes back to Chicago. I've done it several times in my own life. That's right. Me too. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. Now tell me about um, how the former estate of R. Kelly is for sale. R. Kelly, as we all know, is now in prison and deservedly so. He lost this property in foreclosure a decade ago. The seller now is Elaine Isley. She's the widow of Rudolph Isley. He was one of the Isley brothers. They bought the house in 2013, not from R. Kelly, but from the lender that had seized it in foreclosure. Um, Rudolph Isley died in October. And now Elaine has the property on the market. Unfortunately, it has this other story. It's the place that R. Kelly built when he was on the rise. Uh, he bought the property. This is in Olympia Fields. He bought the property in 1997. 
his name had been on everybody's lips right then because he he had the song I believe I can fly from the from Space Jam with Michael Jordan right. and and Bugs Bunny yeah. it was a massive sensation so was he he was on his way up he buys this multi-acre property outside Olympia Fields spends 1.5 million dollars for the property tears down the house builds a new one builds this gigantic house that's there now ultimately loses it in foreclosure and of course loses a lot else uh, loses in court and loses his freedom deservedly so given his crimes and after the lender foreclosed on it again it was sold to the Isleys in bad shape they paid $585,000 for it in 2013 it's an enormous house with a pool and enormous property and according to the real estate agent it had flood water in the basement it had been vacant we don't know exactly when R Kelly vacated but the house was vacant uh, when the foreclosing lender took it in bad condition all around and they did massive restoration they rehabbed virtually everything one of the things the agent told me is they completely redid the basement because you know once there's flood water in there you strip everything out and they started over if you look at the pictures this house i said in the story has a water park sized swimming pool indoors mm-hmm. it's got fake palm trees and cabanas and a little not quite a rope swing but like a jungle walk up in the trees and this kind of thing it's nuts um the isleys are older i assume this was very popular with their grandchildren or even their great grandchildren it's quite a house they're asking 3.5 million for it uh, and again they paid 585 for it in 2013 but it was run down at the time they've done so much to it it really shines that price is pretty high for olympia fields but we did we saw a sale over 5 million in homer glen these specialized estate homes with all the amenities sometimes create their own market. We'll see whether that happens in this case, but they sometimes command these high prices because you want all that, uh, just like you might want all that rock and roll memorabilia in the Trump condo we were talking about. So we may see a very high priced sale there in Olympia Fields of this property. Yeah. TBD on that. And everybody, you can head to chicagobusiness.com for photos of all the things we're talking about, but the, uh, I don't know. I think you undersold the water park vibe of this pool. It's very, I mean, it would be cool to have in the winter, right? Because it's like being on a little tropical island kind of a look to it with like the painted ceiling. So it's kind of this underwatery thing. Well, to quote the Isley brothers, it's your thing. It's what you want to do. If you want that kind of, (laughs) if that's the water park, if that's what you want in your house, then I can't tell you who you're talking to. People are going to think we rehearsed that, Dennis. We are just that good at improvising with song lyrics. I did, uh, Amy, I tried so hard to work in Shout. Their first, uh, their first, mm-hmm. the Isley Brothers' first hit, 1959, You Make Me Want to Shout. The house kind of, kind of works that way. But I will say, when I was writing the story, I was in the newsroom. I had to tuck myself into a conference room because I was playing all these Isley Brothers numbers <laughs> out loud just to really get the feeling for who Rudolph Isley was. Sure. And- and what coworkers frowned on that? <laughs> I think, well, not everyone could write and report to that. <laughs> they are used to me. Uh, we all are, Dennis. We all are. It's all good. All right. Well, one more house I want to talk with you about. This is a pink World's Fair house in Beverly Shores. It can be yours for the next fifty-two years. This is an amazing house. Anybody who's ever seen it, either from a boat out on Lake Michigan or tourist in uh, Beverly Shores, you know this house. 
flamingo pink right on the water in Beverly Shores, which is about 50 miles from downtown Chicago. It's a fascinating house. We'll talk about, you said it can be yours. You can't buy it. You can lease it. And we'll talk about why. But it's, I mean, it's just such a special place because, uh, first of all, as I said in the story, it's on the water. Only one other house in Beverly Shores is on the water. Everything else is on the inland side of the road. And then you can go for miles and find no other houses on the water because the borders of Beverly Shores are both national park on one side and state park on the other. So, so you have the very rare house on the water for miles distant. It's also just so cool. It's an art deco house. It was built for the World's Fair for the Century of Progress in 1933 on Northerly Island in Chicago. There were demonstrator homes for various reasons showing the kinds of materials that were being revolutionized in the early 30s, layouts that might meet that day's standards. This one was built by the state of Florida for, um, one person told me that it was essentially a three-dimensional postcard installed by Florida oh. to get you to either come down and enjoy this tropical lifestyle as a vacationer or tourist, or come down there and build a house just like this one. Um, so it sat there on Northerly Island. And then at the end of the fair in 1934, this, some other houses, several other fair buildings, including a replica of the Old North Church in Boston, were all transported, most of them by barge, over to Beverly Shores by the developer of Beverly Shores. And it has stood there on the shore of the lake ever since. It was built to be temporary in 1933. Here we are, mm -hmm. 2024. So here's the ownership situation. You can't buy this house. You can lease it. And you'll lease it for 52 years. Here's why. It's owned by the National Park Service. Of course, uh, Beverly Shores is surrounded in part by the Indiana Dunes National Park, including tiny little fringe along the water that includes this house and one other. That's National Park land. So the National Park Service owns it. Indiana Landmarks has a deal with the National Park Service to lease it and then subleases it to occupants. The people who are offering it now took the lease in the uh, 1990s, no rent, but they were responsible for all the expenses of rehab. And from what I hear, from what their real estate agent and old articles tell me, the house was in terrible shape. Again, built to be temporary. And at that point, it's like 60 years old, roof caving in, it's right out on the water. The wood supports were all rotting out. It had been vandalized. There was all sorts of um, damage from storms and the chimney fell in. Uh, so the agreement was you live here rent-free, but you cover all repairs, all rehab, and you do all of those to the standards of the National Park Service and Indiana Landmarks. So basically what they have done, what this family has done is... Um, restored the house to its 1933 condition, parentheses, not in the basement because right. there was no basement. So they were able to do whatever they wanted down there. They built out some bedrooms and things like that. But the main two floors of the house have the stainless steel stair rails, the porthole windows. It looks apparently exactly as it did in 1933. I'm old, but I didn't see the house in 1933. But it, supposedly their restoration is letter perfect going all the way back. Apparently, they've spent something like $2.5 million since the late 90s, because now what they're offering is a lease for the next 52 years 
for $2.5 million. The 52 years is the result of, according to Indiana Landmarks, the way they explained it to me is um, these owner or these rehabbers, these occupants have done so much with it that they were earning extensions of the lease. And they now have about 52 years to go on the lease. They're older people. Other members of the family don't want it. So they're offering to sell that lease for $2.5 million. So do you want to pay $2.5 million for a, for a rental property? Well, it's 52 years of rent. It's about $4,000 sure. a month for a four-bedroom house on the water with over 200 feet of, of lakefront. One of the other stipulations people need to know, because uh, I learned, the real estate agent told me this happened to her, and then it happened to me. As soon as you mention it, people say, oh, Airbnb, it's perfect for a short-term rental. You can't do that. The rules from the National Park Service are that you cannot uh, turn a profit on this property. So you couldn't turn it into a restaurant, short-term rental, that sort of thing. Um, you really need to use it as your home. Oh, one other thing, you got to pay cash. So if you're a family or families who have $2.5 million, here's your summer house for the next 52 years. Right. Okay. So you mentioned that you have to pay cash because I was th sitting here thinking, well, how do you come up with like the financing to do that? But you just have to pay for it outright. Nobody's going to lend you money to lease a house. Or a lease. Right. But if you're a person of means and you have two and a half million dollars in the bank or you and a group of family members have two and a half million dollars in the bank, you'll figure out a way to make it work. I really look forward to seeing how this shakes out because this is such a like an unusual uh, kind of an unusual circumstance and, you, and an unusual house. Right. So, it, yeah, the house is almost as unusual as the circumstances. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Dennis, what is coming up in the week ahead? Oh, a couple of things. I'm working forward on the end of the year data on top sales of the year. And also I mentioned the loss of membership by the National Association of Realtors. The end of this week, I'm supposed to get membership figures for the Chicago Suburban and Illinois Real Estate Associations. And we will see whether they've shrunk the way the national group did. Indeed. All right. Well, I will meet you right back here this time next week and we will talk all about it. Thanks so much, Dennis. That's great. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Rush University System for Health plans a new $27 million medical office in Lakeview. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Want to dive deeper into the topics you've heard here? Read the full stories and get access to all of Crane's award-winning coverage with a Crane's Chicago Business subscription. Crane's Daily Gist listeners can get 20% off a one-year Crane's Chicago Business digital subscription by visiting chicagobusiness.com slash gist and using promo code gist at checkout. Once again, to redeem this offer, visit chicagobusiness.com slash gist and enter code gist to get this deal while it lasts. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun fought back tears as he said the plane maker must own up to its shortcomings as it grapples with a safety incident that has renewed questions over the quality of its manufacturing. Bloomberg reported that Calhoun told Boeing workers Tuesday during a company-wide meeting at its 737 factory near Seattle, quote, 
we are going to approach this, number one, acknowledging our mistake. Bloomberg noted that the remarks came during an all-hands meeting called by Calhoun after a door plug ejected from a 737 MAX last week mid-flight, leaving a hole in the side of the plane. Bloomberg noted that Calhoun said, as he recalled seeing photographs of the plane's damaged fuselage, quote, I've got kids, I've got grandkids, and so do you. He continued, this stuff matters. Every detail matters. U.S. regulators grounded 171 of Boeing's 737 MAX 9 aircraft and ordered inspections after the January 5th incident. None of the 177 passengers and crew on board Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 were injured when the panel ripped free shortly after the plane departed from Portland, Oregon. Bloomberg noted in reporting that Boeing Commercial Airplanes CEO Stan Deal, who is tasked with raising output while also maintaining quality at Boeing's largest unit, spoke alongside Calhoun at Tuesday's presentation. Also addressing workers was Chief Safety Officer Mike Delaney, whose senior executive role was created during a previous crisis involving the U.S. plane maker's Max Jet. A global grounding after two fatal crashes killed a combined 346 people nearly five years ago. Bloomberg also pointed out in reporting that a great deal is at stake for Calhoun and Boeing after a series of quality issues tripped up production of its most important aircraft last year and last week's incident complicates the CEO's work to rebuild Boeing's image after the crashes and the subsequent prolonged grounding of the 737 MAX. Since the January 5th event, Alaska Airlines and Chicago-based United have both discovered other 737 MAX jets with loose bolts after the FAA grounded the planes and ordered carriers to inspect them. Formal inspections have yet to start. The agency said Tuesday that Boeing is revising instructions for the checks after receiving feedback, and all of the affected planes will remain idled until the regulator deems them safe. National Transportation Safety Board Chair Jennifer Homendi said Monday that her agency would consider broadening the probe. Such a move would bring deeper scrutiny for Boeing and its manufacturing processes and magnify the issue as the U.S. plane maker seeks to get the aircraft back into service. Bloomberg also noted that Ron Epstein, an analyst with Bank of America, told clients over the weekend, quote, We do see the latest incident as eroding the fragile confidence that has been built around the 737 MAX franchise. He continued, quote, In our view, Boeing needs to tread carefully and cautiously through this potential reputational minefield. Three of the biggest tenants at one of Chicago's tallest office towers are set to leave for buildings nearby, dealing its ownership the latest in a series of leasing blows and widening the gap between the health of top-tier office properties and the rest of the market. Crane's Danny Ecker reported that in the largest of the three pending departures from the 65-story building at 311 South Wacker Drive, insurance company Attorneys Liability Assurance Society is finalizing a lease for about 37,000 square feet at 10 South Riverside Plaza, according to people familiar with the negotiations. They're slated to leave behind about 39,000 square feet in the Wacker Drive Tower. Ecker reported that separately, non-bank commercial lender Monroe Capital and financial services firm Mizuho Financial Group are both in advanced talks to leave 311 South Wacker for new offices at 155 North Wacker Drive, where they would occupy about 40,000 and 25,000 square feet respectively, according to sources who spoke with Cranes. 
Monroe would expand from nearly 25,000 square feet today, while Mizuho would grow slightly from its existing 23,000 square foot space. Ecker noted that the pending exits are part of a trend of companies flocking to newer and more recently updated office buildings. Vacancy at top-tier or Class A office buildings downtown like the ones these companies are eyeing has only gone up since 2020, while average vacancy at Class B properties like 311 South Wacker has spiked over the same span. Ecker reported that against that backdrop, the three departures would be a big hit for the Wacker Drive skyscraper that lost a couple of its biggest tenants over the past few years and is about 60% leased today, down from about 86% when the COVID-19 pandemic first began. Losing all three would likely push its occupancy below 50%, far from the 76% average for downtown office buildings. Ecker noted that the tenant defections, combined with higher interest rates and the murky future of the office market, have impacted the 34-year-old tower's value. The building is owned by a joint venture of Chicago real estate firm Zeller and Chinese investor Sindat Capital Management, which bought it for $302 million in 2014 and spent another $38 million on renovations and building upgrades since then. That according to a flyer from Jones Lang LaSalle, which has marketed the property for sale over the past year. Ecker noted that Zeller and Sindat refinanced the 1.3 million square foot tower in 2018 with $295 million in new debt, while the downtown office market was thriving. The joint venture tried to cash out during the pandemic and were close to an agreement to sell the tower to a Virginia-based investor for more than $300 million in late 2021, but the deal ultimately fell apart. Multiple investors last year were offering sums in the range of $100 million to $120 million for the building, Ecker reported, citing sources familiar with the property. He also noted in reporting that a sale at anywhere near that price would complete one of the most sizable losses of value ever for a downtown office building, wiping out all of Zeller and Sindat's equity in the property, as well as the stake of investment firm Nuveen, which provided roughly $80 million in mezzanine debt as part of the 2018 refinancing. That according to people familiar with the offering. Crane's John Aspland reported that UChicago Medicine's Digestive Diseases Center will be using a new ultrasound device that uses microbubbles to break up liver cancer tumors. With it, UChicago becomes only the fourth U.S. hospital to use the new non-invasive technique on liver cancer, according to a press release. The tool came to the center on December 27th thanks to a $500,000 grant from the UChicago-affiliated GI Research Foundation, according to the release. The system uses gases naturally present in human tissue to create microbubbles that mechanically break up liver cancer tumors. It was recently approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Asplund noted that during treatment, doctors are able to visualize the patient's liver, precisely zero in on the tumor, and use the device to hit the tumor with thousands of pulses of sonic energy. Those pulses will induce bubbles that break up the tumor and leave nothing but completely liquefied and destroyed cells to be naturally absorbed by the body, according to the press release. The funding that came from the GI Research Foundation through its CA Cure initiative, the largest funding program in the foundation's history. CA Cure said that it provided nearly $20 million in support last year to advance the understanding, diagnosis, and treatment of gastrointestinal cancers. 
Rush University System for Health plans to build a $26.6 million medical office in Lakeview, where it will offer primary and specialty care as well as outpatient services. Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis reported that details of the center, which would be in a building at 2928 North Ashland Avenue, were disclosed in a recent application that Rush filed with the Illinois Health Facilities and Services Review Board. If the board approves the project, the nearly 24,000-square-foot center would open in the summer of 2026, according to a statement from a Rush spokesperson. Davis reported that the new Lakeview Center would include 29 exam rooms, two procedure rooms, and a lab, according to the application. It would also house private physician offices across multiple specialties and include an imaging room with MRI, computed tomography scans, ultrasound, echo, and general x-ray capabilities. The Rush spokesperson said the exact number of clinical and administrative workers needed to operate the center is still being determined, as is the number of patients the facility could treat each year. And as Davis pointed out in reporting, the new center would also add to Rush's growing footprint in the Chicago area. Rush, which has more than 30 outpatient centers in the area, also plans to open a $70 million 60,000-square-foot multi-specialty care outpatient center next year at the corner of North and Harlem. Davis reported that other healthcare systems, including Advocate Healthcare and Northwestern Medicine, are also doubling down on an outpatient strategy, as outpatient centers are typically less expensive to operate than hospitals and serve as patient touchpoints for basic care in several areas. And when patients need more advanced and expensive care, healthcare organizations typically work to funnel them to their major hospitals. Davis further noted that Rush is anchored by its 737-bed medical center on the near west side, which has grown into Chicago's largest hospital by revenue, according to Crane's data. Rush also operates two smaller hospitals, one in Aurora and another in Oak Park. Davis reported that in the health system's fiscal 2023, which ended in June, the organization reported more than $3.3 billion in total operating revenue, with an operating margin of 0.6%, according to its application. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.